So, hello, um, my name is Matthew Knight. I'm the co-principal trombone of the RPO. And I'm really delighted today to be talking to the composer, Jim Parker, who's a Londoner in New York. Uh, the RPO brass are performing at Cadogan Hall next week. So, hi, Jim. I, I must just apologize for my, my setting. I'm, I'm staying in the middle of nowhere at the moment in a place with no internet. So I've driven to the nearest town. I'm, I'm doing this from my car. Um, but actually that sort of struck me as, as um, uh, uh, quite appropriate because I was speaking to my mum last night and um, we were talking about Captain Beaky, which was your kind of chart topping hit. And she it, said, it uh, yeah, yeah. She said she, she remembered us listening to it for hours on end um, in the car when we were kids. So, um. <laughs> well, uh, she sounds terribly nice. I'd like to meet her. Uh, you know, what well, it reminds me, I remember once uh, Stephen Sondheim was doing a, a thing and he said, he said, now we, we'll listen to all my hit songs. <laughs> right, yeah. And, and that's appropriate, because I don't think I've been in the charts apart from that, ever. Um, I wondered if you could tell me a bit um, about your musical background, because am I right in thinking you're not a brass player, but you, you, were, you trained as an oboist, is that correct? Uh, it goes back a bit further than that. Um, I started, like a lot of kids, I, I started um, having piano lessons and like a lot of kids got very bored very quickly and packed it in. Um, and then after that, and, but I was, I was always interested in music. I mean, this is probably, I don't know how old I was, I was probably about six or seven, something like that. Um, and it was obviously much more fun playing football, but 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 eventually I, I kept I kept an interest in music, and it, we still had the piano, and I sort of taught myself to play the piano really. Uh, so I'm a self-taught pianist. In fact, I'm, I'm more or less self-taught everything. Um, I uh, I sort of I don't think I could read music. I must have taught myself to read music by buying a few popular songs that I knew what they sounded like and from that I could tell from the music what what they looked like so I sort of learned to learn to uh, to read music and play the piano really at the same time um, and, and I'm, I'm still a hopeless sight reader on the piano and I have no technique but I have I, I did do quite a lot of piano at various times I, I used to even I, I eventually got to the stage where I could play in, in, in bands usually small groups because because I wasn't a particularly good reader or at least I could read but I wasn't a good sight reader and um, it, it, I thought well I'd, I'd like to be a musician but I don't, really don't know how to do it so so what I did was join the army uh, I joined the 4th 7th Dragoon Guards on a three-year contract um, on the, the, you had to sign up for three years there was national service in those days but but I had to sign up for three years um, to get into the band and I, I'd actually I, I was actually working training to be an accountant for which I was totally unqualified I mean I was totally wrong as, as an accountant I never made it anyway or I've made too many mistakes uh, anyway I got into the band uh, on the premise that I was going to learn the clarinet but when I got into the band they said well We've got lots of clarinetists, but we haven't got an oboe player. Why don't you, why don't you play the oboe instead? So I thought, well, why not? So, so I, and, and I have to say, uh, I mean, I was very untutored in those days. I, I didn't know what an oboe was. 
I thought an oboe was a, a, long, a long wooden instrument, i.e. a bassoon. So when they gave me this instrument, it was actually a very small instrument, like, rather like a clarinet, but a bit smaller. Um, and it was made of tin, because this being an army band, they, they, they used to have uh, instruments that were made probably to, to, to work in hot, very hot climates like India. So this was a tin oboe that I had. So they gave me the tin oboe and they gave me, uh, and they said, that's the reed, you put it in your mouth and, you know, put your mouth, both lips over your teeth and blow it. And, and, um, and here's the tutor, this will give you the fingerings. Um, get on with it. And they said, and we've got a broadcast in three months. <laughs> so uh, I said, okay. Um, and I, and I, I did actually work terribly hard at learning the oboe for this two and a half years or so as I was in the army. Um, I did do the broadcast, but it must have sounded pretty dreadful, I should think. Um, and, and after those two, I also played in a band in, in the that we had a dance band in the in the regiment. So I, so I used to do a few gigs. But, you know, we had this little band that used to do officers' mess, sergeants' mess jobs, that sort of thing. And we were in, we were in Germany. What sort of age were you at, at this? What sort of age are we talking about? Uh, I was nearly, I must have been nearly 19 when I joined the army. I was probably, I was probably 18, but, but heading up towards, yeah, 18, but heading up towards 19. Um, so so, so I, I, I did work terribly hard and, and uh, eventually when I left, I, I, I got a job playing the piano but I, but I got the sack from that, <laughs> quite rightly, I suspect. <laughs> it was also supposed to, I was also supposed to play the organ, but luckily the organ didn't arrive, which was just as well, because I didn't actually play the organ. <laughs> I thought I'd sort of get around it by not using the feet or something. So, so, eventually, so, so anyway, in the end, I did apply. A couple, a couple of people from our regiment had, had gone to the Guildhall. So I applied to the Guildhall as an oboe player, and... The principal there, he said, well, you're not very good, but we haven't got anybody else. So, so they took me. <laughs> so, I just, so I went to the Guildhall and, and I loved it. I must say I loved it at the Guildhall. Uh, I didn't like it in the army very much. Um, and, I, and again, I worked, I did actually, I have to say, I did work terribly hard. I mean, I, I would get up at, at eight o'clock start practicing the oboe till my lip went and once once my lip had recovered i'd play again uh till nine o'clock at night and i did this all the time <laughs> uh, and and eventually i must have improved uh, and and in fact i i, I in fact I, I didn't win the gold medal but but i i was i was up against jacqueline dupre who was who was fa fairly fairly formidable competitor? She was fourteen at the time. <laughs> I mean, I didn't even know what an oboe was when I was fourteen. But but anyway, but she was terribly good. I mean, she she deserved to win the thing, obviously. And and a friend of mine called Keith who was playing playing a, a Beethoven piano sonata. I was playing the Mozart oboe concerto. Uh, anyway, I, I left. Eventually, I left the Guildhall and I, and I got a job straight away in the CBSO in Birmingham uh, and, and after a year of that I, I came to London to freelance uh, and, and after that I, 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 as I was freelancing it was off it was some almost sometimes I would work so I still played the piano I'd, I'd play for 
rehearsals and that sort of thing, you know. Um, it wasn't, uh, you know, it wasn't very lucrative, but it was better than, it was better than nothing if, if there was no job that day. Um, and incidentally, at the Guildhall, I, th I think probably people still do this. We used to make extra money by, by playing in, in things like Gilbert and Sullivan amateur societies, that sort of thing. Mm. Uh, it, it was a long time ago and it was a pound a night. But that, that was a lot in those days. I mean, the, your actual, the, the actual uh, amount I got from, as, as a grant, as a student, was five pounds a week. And that was considered quite adequate to live on. So a pound wasn't bad. And I also used to, used to play the piano in pubs. That was another pound a night. So, so in, in the end, you know, one could do reasonably well out of it. Yeah. Um, so when I came back to London, um, I, I, I did various, I played in various orchestras. Did, did the odd, the odd gate, date with the BBC Symphony and the LSO, uh, the Jake's Orchestra. I used to play the Cor Anglais at the Matthew Passions and whatnot at the, at the you know for the Jake's Orchestra. Um, what, about, what about the RPO? Did you ever play in the RPO? I never did. Although, funnily enough, I almost conducted the RPO. My, my brother did a recording about three years ago. Were you there three years ago? I was. Yeah. Yeah. Did, do you remember a, a session with a, a chap called Tom Parker, which was which was a sort of jazzing up the classics type of? Right. I'm not. And, sure. and, I can't remember, but. I, well, well, he, well, well. I used to conduct. He, he, my, my brother. He, he used to do all these records that were terribly popular on the continent, and they never even got released here. Um, he, you know, he he did a thing called the Young Messiah, which was the Messiah with. You know, with a with a rock rhythm section with with him on the piano and uh, Viva Verdi was the one he did with the RPO and, and right. you you can imagine I mean the one of the, he he also wrote the words I, I remember one of the songs La Donna Mobile I've I've lost my Mobile I lost it yesterday and it went on it went on it was that sort it was that sort of record right. anyway I, I used to conduct all these sessions but but I couldn't do the one with the RPO oh right that's uh, a shame. <laughs> well, not necessarily. I mean, I, I, I never, I would never claim to be a great conductor. I used to tell him, I used to say, "Look, Tom, you can get a better conductor than me, mate. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm really a composer. There are, there are good, good, good conductors out there, but but he wanted me to do it. Anyway, anyway tell I, me, tell me how you um, went from. So you were you were an orchestral player, and yeah. how did how did you um, make the transition into becoming a, a composer. Is, is that something you'd always done a bit of, or was it a very sudden thing? Well, yeah, well, actually, I, um, I always wanted to write music, actually, and, 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 and somebody I met, he was a distant, very distant relation of mine, said, well, if you want, if you want to write for the orchestra, you should, you should play in one. So I, so I was really, in, in a way, I was almost playing in the orchestra to learn what orchestras did, you know, and I never had any lessons or anything like that. It just, I just, you know, learned the hard way, really. But it's quite, it's quite a good way of learning, actually. Yeah. Um, and and the, the reason why I, I managed to move across was that I I joined. I, I at one stage I was rung. I, I did a few. I, I, I did a few arrangements. I did some stuff for Procol Harum mm -hmm. uh, when they were, they were they were very big as a pop group. You know, white a shade of pale and all that stuff. Um, and a friend of mine recommended me to this group that was called the Barrow Poets. I suddenly got this phone call from 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 the lady who ran the, ran the Barrow Poets, and she said, "We've got this wonderful group." <laughs> she would say that, wouldn't she? And and um, we've got quite a lot of jobs. 
um, mostly we play in pubs. We do, we do music and poetry in pubs. But we've got a few other jobs as well. And one of the jobs, in fact, the first job I did was at the Oldborough Festival. So they, they did quite, you know, they didn't just play in pubs. Mm. But anyway, I joined this group, the Barrow Poets, as the oboe player who could also possibly do some arrangements. Mm. And, and our lineup at that time was oboe and violin. That was it. <laughs> so this, this was a good, a good, good lesson in orchestration. <laughs> no bass lines, nothing like that. Um, and eventually, and then eventually, I, I, I did, I did a lot of arrangements, and then I started writing stuff as well, um, and 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 I, I, I played the piano a bit as well, and again. As, as I was the arranger, I could make sure that the piano parts weren't too difficult, so I could, so that was all right. Um, and I played, I played the cor anglais a bit as well, a bit, a bit of sort of jazzing it up on the cor anglais, you know. Um, and and we were quite, we were quite successful in in a very modest kind of way. Uh, you know, you didn't, you're not never going to get rich doing music and poetry, really. But 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 we we made a almost a living i was i was having to do the, the usual stuff you know get gigs with with symphony orchestras and playing the piano as well um but it was we we, we, we hung around for a long time we did we did american tours um which which brings me to how how a londoner in new york happened because wow. one of one of the people that, that that i met through the barrow poets who used to come to our shows was philip jones Mm. And 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 Philip, um, I, I did a record with John Betjeman called Banana Blush, which which went down very well. Never never so many copies, to be quite honest. It was one of those sort of specialist things that everybody likes but nobody actually buys. But but it, but it got but it got really good reviews. Um, and, and and of course Betjeman wasn't really a pop artist. He was a bit shocked to find to find it wasn't in the charts. But but it, but it, it, it I think it got played quite a bit. And it went under the title of being a pop record. So he was a bit shocked because he'd just been made the Poet Laureate. And he tried to sort of pretend it wasn't a pop record really because he was very proud of being the Poet Laureate because one of his great heroes, Tennyson, had been a Poet Laureate. Anyway, it went down terribly well. And in fact, we made four more LPs there were in those days on vinyl. And for, for, for the first one, I, I wanted the brass. Uh, I, I, instead of using, and you won't like to hear this, Matt, um, I didn't want trumpets and trombones. I, I wanted cornets and euphonium. <laughs> so, so Philip, so Philip organised that for me and got and got me got got the players for me. Um, so that was good. Well, tell me how you went. So, so um, you were doing. Um, these various projects and how did you get into writing for tv because you, you you then became a very successful tv composer well the thing is that having done this banana this banana blush record it was very it was very popular with a lot of people like tv producers right so so i got my first jobs really through through this record i mean i, I suspect if i if i hadn't made this record i might never have broken through because it's very hard to break through in tv Mm. I mean, people often say, how do, you, how do you break through? And I usually say, well, try and be good at something else. You know, like try and be good at, 
at, at, at writing a pop record, try and get a hit record or something, and they'll they'll come wanting you. You know, if you if you go to them wanting jobs, you'll never get them anyway. So so that's that's how I that's really how I moved across to TV music. Mm. Um, but but I worked, well, I'll tell you about I'll tell you about the the continuation of of, of the Philip story yeah. later on. So um, I mean, lots of people would have heard your music. You know, for example. Um, you wrote the music to Midsummer Murders and Falls War. Those are the kind of recent ones that I'm sure people yeah. will have heard. But you, you actually had a long career from about the late 70s, is that right, with a huge catalogue of, of... Yes, it was. It was about, probably about the late 70s. But of course, well, when you first start doing it, you get the odd job mm. and you think, that's it, that's it, I'm in there now. And, and then six months later, another one comes in, you know, it's, it's like that. And, yeah. and, and that's, what, that's what it was like, really. And so I did start doing it then, but, but I, I was still doing the Barrow Poets and, and still, doing the, still doing gigs, really. But yeah. eventually I managed to, I, managed to I, I decided that I was either going to be an oboe player or a, a composer. Mm. And, and I thought I was going to, be, I'm going to be more successful as a composer. So I, so I, so I moved across. Mm. And um, so for people who haven't heard of Philip Jones, um, yes, he, he was a, he was a trumpet player, a uh, celebrated trumpet player, and he ran a group called the Philip Jones uh, Brass Ensemble, which was the That's preeminent right. brass ensemble in, in the world, probably. Yeah, uh, they yes. sort of put brass chamber music on the on the map, didn't they? Really? Uh, yes. Certainly, well, I th no, go on. Oh, certainly, players like me, you know, they're the group that I grew up um, listening to. So, so, how did the commission? Um, come about with Philip Jones? Yeah, well, I mean, Philip, um, Philip virtually invented your, your, the ensemble that, that, that mm. is playing in London or in New York. And, and, and it's a very strange ensemble because, it's, as, as you know, it's got four trumpets, four trombones, one horn and one tuba. Mm. Now, if I, was, if I was actually choosing from scratch 10, bra, 10, 10 brass instruments, I'd have three horns, four trumpets, three trombones and, and a tuba. But, 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 but he did explain that doing that, and, and you probably find this, um, he could do all sorts of things like trombone quartets, brass quintets. He'd worked it out very carefully. Mm. Um, but it was a rather strange outfit to write for. Mm. Um, you know, especially, especially what he, he said, a lot of people don't quite know what to do with the horn. You know, it's, yeah. it's rather sticks out on its own. Uh, so, so the, the, the reason, the, the way I came to write this particular piece was we were doing a concert with the Barrow Poets and Philip and his group, the, the 10 brass players, were doing the first half. It, it was at the uh, Chichester Theatre, Chichester Festival Theatre. Um, they were doing the first half, we were doing the second half and I managed to persuade Philip, he didn't need much persuading to be honest, to, to let the guys stay on the stage for the second half, because our, our grand finale piece was 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 a, a send up of Wagner called "Carry On Up the Rhine," and it, and it lasted about uh, I think it lasted about three minutes maximum. So the guys sat there, and and, and at the end it ended up with a with a, with, a, with a version of of, Tan, of the Tannhäuser overture, with four it, it had uh, violin, kazoo. Uh, anglais, triangle, and, and I think we had a, a ratchet thing or something. Anyway, it was a very bizarre thing. But I, but, but, but I also then scored that, that, that very bit, uh, that very end of, of 20 seconds or so, 
for the full brass ensemble. So I mean, <laughs> so, so the guys were really very good. They sat there, laughed at the jokes, and and at the end, they, 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 you can imagine the effect of suddenly out of nowhere, ten brass players playing fortissimo. It absolutely brought the house down. So at the, at the end of at the end of the evening, I got a lift home from Philip because he was going my direction, and and then he said, well, why, don't, "Why don't you write a piece for us?" So so I did. Um, and the reason why I wrote this particular piece, I mean, this is my first real piece for brass, actually. I mean, I'd written stuff in, you know, brass in, in groups and that sort of thing, in, in orchestras and bands. Um, but this was my first piece just for brass. And a few years earlier, I'd taken my, my, my family to New York for a holiday. And it was very expensive. And I thought, well, I'm, I'm going to get some of this money back somehow. I'm going to write a piece. <laughs> so so when, when, it, when the opportunity came, I wrote this piece. Um, and and it's uh, unlike a lot of stuff which I've written where, I mean, sometimes you write music and, and afterwards you think, what shall I call it? And quite often the publisher, publisher suggests titles, you know. This one, I, it, was, it was actually, when I, when I write a piece about, oh, you know, the... Um, Central Park, that sort of thing, or Radio City Musical. I, 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 I did vividly remember the, the, the occasion. Yeah, he, so each of the movements has got a title of, of a place in, in New York, hasn't it? Yes, and, and they weren't just made up. In, you know, as I was saying, I, I, you sometimes make them up afterwards, but, but these, were, these were actually based on what I'd, you know, what I'd seen of, the, of these particular buildings or occasions. Hmm. You know, so things like the... the I was going to ask you, is there a difference in the way you write when you're compared to writing, you know, something for, for TV or for, for screen when you're yeah. just writing a concert piece? Is it, is it very different or is the fact that these are quite visual because they're very vivid, vivid kind of images, these um, different movement titles. Does that make it fairly similar in a way? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, well, well, you, well, you'd spend much more time, I think, writing, writing, writing concert pieces. Because mainly because you haven't got it when you're writing TV, mm. TV stuff. I mean, for example, to take to take Midsummer Murders, the, the routine was a meeting to decide where where we, where the where the music was going to go, and usually the, the the producer and director knew knew pretty well where they wanted it. I, I could make suggestions as well. So so a meeting, uh, probably ten days or two days later. I would, they would have a meeting at my house and I'd play them the whole score on a, on a synthesizer. Mm. And then, and we'd, we'd, we'd make a few changes and, and then I would orchestrate it. And two weeks later, we recorded it and that was it. So basically to, to do, a, do something like Midsummer Murders, which is a two hour program with about 30 or 40 cues, you've got four weeks. Right. So you, so 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 you 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 have. I mean, you have to make decisions. You have to say, well, it's not perfect, but it's yeah. the job. The but job's you're tomorrow. You're up against it. Whereas if you're writing a concert piece, you've got a bit more time, have you? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And 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 you're 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 working you're working more, especially if if it's going to be published. Uh, it's going to it's going to go down there. So you want to get it right. You know, yeah. a, a lot of, a lot of stuff a lot of stuff for TV. Um, you know perfectly well 
that it's going to be underneath a car, a car or an aeroplane taking off or something, you know. So, so you're not quite, you're not quite as fussy. Yeah. But, but of course, you've got to get it right because you've got they're they're fairly exacting in what they want, you know. Yeah. And, <laughs> but and how do you actually how do you actually write? Do you sort of lock yourself in a room with a piano, or is this does music kind of come to you when you're walking around the supermarket or, or something like that? How how does how's the process work? Well, um, I work. I think most people these days, especially if they write well, if they write screen music, all of them, they they, they use computers. Mm-hmm. And and I mean, as you as you probably know, it's very exact in its timing. It's it is it is timed to to a twenty fifth of a second, although although this is often irrelevant because the, because the problem is not so much to fit in the timings, as to make them sound as if it's proper music and not just a lot of bits stuck together, you know, mm. which is what the film is. Um, so, so I, I mean, the, uh, since I started writing screen music, things have changed a great deal. When I, when I first started, it was really a question of playing something on the piano and hoping for the best when you got in the studio and, and usually having to make a lot of changes because basically they, they, they've got no idea what's going to come out at the other end. But by the time, but, the, but then eventually the, um, the computers, you know, and the, and, and the synthesizers, you, you, could, you could certainly get it exactly timed. You know, eventually they, you work to time code usually. So you can time it exactly. You can, t- you can tell them exactly where it's going to come, where it's going to start, where it's going to stop, what's going to happen in the middle. Um, and it's it's actually much better now. And and some people some people just use computers. Although you know I I don't think that's ever as good to be quite honest. I mean I think you 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 want you want the players really. You if if you've got live proper good live players, you get out more than you put in. Quite honestly, um, you know I mean a lot of a lot of stuff would sound pretty average on on on, on computers, but when a, when a good player takes it over. It's a different story, really. So when you write a piece like um, the uh, London and New York, would you still write at the computer, or or would you just no, write? No, 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 no. In those days, I was on pencil and paper. Right. I yeah. wanted to ask. I, I mean, I've I've been um, I've been practicing my part this week a, a bit actually, and something that struck me is that it's incredibly well written for the instrument technically. The trombone in particular, because it's got the slide and it's very unwieldy and, and it can't. I know. Do, can't do things like a piano and all that kind of stuff. Lots of composers don't quite get it right. It doesn't quite fit the instrument. Whereas your your parts seem to fit really well. Is that something that you worked with the Philip Jones group on, or do you think it's just something you, you knew because you'd been an instrumentalist yourself? I think it's luck. <laughs> I'm <laughs> sure it's luck. No, I mean I do. If if I've got problems, especially with the trombone, you know, because I, I mean one can easily look and see if you're doing glissandos. You can easily look it up in a book to see where they are, but it's it's very time consuming. So I usually I usually just write it and, and, and say to the players, "Is this playable?" <laughs> and if it's not, I change it. But no, I had a I mean, for London in New York, I had a meeting with Philip, and we went through the score. Um, we didn't change any notes. Um, so he would occasionally say, "Well, if if you take that phrase on." So the next, so you know, so the the next the next phrase picks up, it ends up on the same note as the next note starts. That sort of thing. Yeah. So I'd I'd carry it, I'd, you know, I'd, I'd put the extra note in, yeah. but that that sort of thing. But basically, no, it, it was just a question of uh, 
which mutes to use that sort of thing you know yeah Te really technical things I, I always write if, if I'm writing a piece for I, I always try and 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 get the help of the uh, of, of whoever is played whoever is going to play it mm. you know because if you you know you, 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 there are things you just don't know as a as a composer especially things like strings you know there's so many so many things you can do on strings and so many things that seem perfectly practical on the piano or a keyboard but but aren't really on, on a stringed instrument yeah well i mean it, it works um so well and, and it's become a complete kind of mainstay of, of the brass deck tech repertoire well, I'm, I'm, yeah, I, I know i'm delighted i mean i'm, I'm delighted about that I have, to, I have to say it gets a lot of performances never produces much money <laughs> <laughs> Well, look, we, we, we love playing it. Um, we're excited to play it uh, next week. It's our first concert uh, back in our Cadogan home uh, since March. Um, and we're really looking forward to it. And, and thank you so much for giving us that fascinating insight into its um, background. I, I hope that um, people will watch this and, and will really enjoy both this interview and, and the performance. So thank you very much. Well, well, thank you. And I hope the concert goes well. And I'm delighted that you're doing the concert again. Yeah. Very good news. Yeah. Great. Thank you for, for, for talking to me.